Hi, friends. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Guts and Grind. Thank you for joining and clicking. And while you're at it, subscribe, like, do all that kind of stuff too. Today's episode is really great. It's it's a little bit different because it's more business-minded, but it's still in the real estate realm. We're interviewing Karin Kapadia. He's a great dude. He's kind of had a big spectrum of dipping his toe in real estate. He did house hacking, short-term rentals, management, a, a lot of different things. Uh, Sid, do you have any insight on like what was your favorite part the interview. I just love how he really killed it on the short-term side, right? He really built, he, he found his niche, right? And I think his niche ultimately is the short-term side of the business and started off with a duplex that he was living in one side and kind of without giving too much away, you know, he rented the other side out and then quickly found out, hey, the, the short-term market is is where you can make some heavy cash flow. And so uh, we kind of dive into a lot of that, how you kind of partnered with some current partners, but just a wealth of knowledge and primarily in the short-term space. So if you guys are excited about the short-term space, Karin is the man. So we're definitely going to have a great interview with this one. That's right. That's right. And so what I really liked was what you said was like, you find your niche and you run with it and how quickly he found it. You know what I mean? Like he was trying different things and he found the niche and he ran with it. And it just kind of exploded really. Without any further ado, let's dive right into the interview. You're listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin, making the real estate journey accessible to anyone. All right, Karin, thanks for joining us today. I guess let's just get started. You know, why don't you give us a quick rundown of your background and, you know, how you got into real estate? Sure. Started my career in structured finance right out of college and, uh, you know, I was doing CMBS, commercial mortgage-backed securities. I did that for a number of years and, you know, I was always very passionate about real estate. So seven years into my career, I kind of, you know, was looking for a way to get into real estate as you know, CMBS market and structured finance market wasn't doing that great. I ended up finding a job in Austin, starting as a first year analyst again, but it took, you know, I ended up doing it and took a huge pay cut and um, moved to Austin at this real estate private equity firm. And I just really loved what I did, you know, every day analyzing deals and just kind of looking at properties and going out to property tours to, you know, analyze them again. I just, I, I figured that was my passion and, you know, that when you realize what you're passionate about, you just move up a lot faster and you just, you just do so much better than, than you can do at something you don't really enjoy doing. So that, that was my first foray into real estate. Could I ask you a quick question about yeah. that? So you said you were in the industry, which was mortgage-backed securities. Was that the whole 2008 thing yeah. going on? Like, were you caught in the middle of that? And that's oh, why. Exactly. I started in 2005. So, you know. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, I went through the whole, through that whole time period where. Wow. What a time to, golly, that's crazy, man. And, and so was that the push to say, Hey, I need to try something new. Or was there this feeling of like, no real estate's been in the back of my mind. And this is kind of the nudge to push me that way. Like, you know, how, what did that look like for you? Well, the push was more of, I need to figure out what I want to do next. This is not an industry. I wasn't really passionate about it. It was just a job, right? You yeah. Went nine to five, did your thing, got paid but I had no passion or excitement for it. And I had kind of, you know, on the side, we'd, we'd, we'd done a trip with some friends, actually with Teak and Silky, and oh, uh, it was Teak's birthday, maybe about 12, 15 years ago. And we rented this lake house in Austin, right? We rented it for a thousand bucks a night, off season. That was our off season rate on the water on Lake Travis, had a pool, which we couldn't use because it was November, but it was also for sale for a million bucks, right? So I just did some back of the napkin math and I was like, if this guy only rents, you know, 10 nights a month at thousand bucks a night, which is an off season rate and never rents at the high season rate, which was, I think, 15 to 1800 bucks a night, 
the the numbers just make sense. I was like, this is right. right? So that kind of got me thinking about how do I get into one of these at that point, obviously, you know, I was making 60, 70 grand a year. There's no way I was getting a loan for it. Sure. So let's talk to a couple of friends, you know, maybe we could pull in and get, get together, but that it never panned out. Right. Anyways, a year or two later, I ended up with this private equity job and moved to Austin. And then I really started thinking about how do I get into this vacation rental stuff? Cause it was just such a hot time in, in that industry. So I remember even when I came down for my interview to Austin, I'd actually set up meetings with realtors uh, to go look at some properties. That was my first kind of, okay, we, I got to make this happen. And then as I took this job, started working here, I was kind of looking on the side and uh, we ended up buying our first property at that time, you know, soon after moving here. And that's, that's another, that's another good story actually. So this first, first property is a duplex that we still owned right by Lake Austin, Mopac. And the idea was, Hey, we'll rent out one side and live on the other side. Nice. Uh, and there were a bunch of college kids in there. It was completely trashed. And I still remember. So we went, there were three offers on it. And this was back in 2012, you know, the whole multiple offer situation. Very different from what it's been like in the last couple of years in Austin. But it was, we still went 10K over asking, which was a lot. Sure. And we ended up getting getting the deal. And then my wife and I were like, oh shit, now what? How do we afford this place? <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> you know, it was a... Uh, and I just about had enough income to kind of qualify on it uh, or what I thought. But then when we went through underwriting and whatnot, we were, we were a little shy, so we couldn't actually afford it. Oh, but man. fortunately, uh, Versha's parents were, were willing to co-sign us. So they co-signed us on that first one. And that's how we bought it. I mean, we had the money for the down payment, just couldn't, you know, uh, get the get the loan approved. Now, Karin, real quick. So you said that was kind of a duplex. We call it house hacking it, right? So you live in one side and maybe hopefully rent out the other side. So when you ran the numbers, did that even with, I guess, the other half being rented out, and this is you factoring, we can kind of, I guess, contribute to the mortgage. Is that what you're saying that you, you kind of fell short on, on the mortgage there? No, so they wouldn't count the other side's rental income back. For whatever oh, wow. reason back then they wouldn't we had to qualify for the entire uh yeah. so the other side's rental income more than covered the entire note and oh it, it did okay yeah so back then their the rent for one unit was 20 2250 our mortgage even today is 1952 so oh wow okay you know, so it's really just getting over that hump of buying the actual house like getting the yeah, property hey, to say yeah. hey we have enough money to actually float the note but exactly. once, was it hard to rent out? And like, I guess you were a landlord and a co-tenant at the same time. Like, was that difficult or what, what did that look like? No, that was easy. The tenants were already there. So one side oh. was already there. The other side was vacant. We renovated the other side and moved in. So it was, nice. it was that simple. So we just kept those guys there and nice. they moved again. And then once we renovated our side, you know, we started doing this weekend thing where let's try renting it out on weekends and we'll find somewhere to go. So we rented out for 350 bucks a night for Thursday, Friday, Saturday. And now we're pulling in, you know, 1,050 a weekend. And we're still living there, but 1,050, we're going to Houston or yeah, couch or going out of town or whatever. It's a vacation, right? That is so cool. So, so and this is the house you're living in. Like the side that, the part of your duplex of that is your home. So that means yeah. all your stuff, all that stuff is still there, right? Like, so <laughs> you, you didn't feel any type of way. It was just like, no, no, we'll, we'll give it a try. See what happens. You know, I didn't feel any type of way, but my wife did. So <laughs> right. after a couple of times of doing this, we ended up getting uh, a small one bedroom studio, like right across the street. And the idea was, okay, we'll just go here on the weekends. We'll lock our stuff up in a closet. And, sure. you know, we'll, have, we'll have a place to crash instead of having to go to Houston or somewhere right. 
guest bedroom every weekend, right? It's kind of awkward after a while. Right, right. That's a brilliant way of, of getting into that game. And, and was Airbnb and VRBO like a thing back then when you started? Or was this a different game or, or how did that no, work Air, for you? The Airbnb wasn't even really around and we weren't using it. We were using HomeAway, which got acquired by VRBO. But HomeAway was... Oh. So that's what we we were on HomeAway. And back then you could actually list your phone number on there. So people would call you to book. And it was a very, you know, different process. Automated, right? Uh, but anyway, so we started doing this and we're making, now we're making like 2,200 bucks on this side nice. with the long-term guys. And we're making like four grand on our side and we're still living there. That's <laughs> wow. Crazy. We've got a thousand dollar monthly payment for this rent, for this rental unit, you know, but renting is a crash pad. So anyways, we moved out of this house in six months. I mean, even though the idea was to come and go, we ended up just staying in that rental unit, that studio. We ended up staying there for two years. Oh, wow. Yeah. We just, cause this was just doing so well. Right. So yeah. Yeah. And then when the second lease ended for the for the long-term renters, we just renovated that side and converted into a short term as well. So now from 2200 on one side and four, we're now at eight like over eight thousand bucks. Wow. Let me ask yeah. you a real quick question about um okay, so you know, as as a married man here, you know, you have to get your your wife on board with this this project, right? Like how, how was that process? I'll tell you, like a lot of women wouldn't allow you them to rent out your your primary living space, right? I mean, would, did that take yeah. a lot of like kind of you know coercing or maybe convincing to like, you know, figure this out? Cause it sounds like you didn't even have a idea of how much you were potentially sitting on from a short-term rental perspective, right? Right. 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 This is a pie in the sky, you know. Let's let's hope for the best, right? But you know, how, how did that look like with that discussion with your wife? The idea was when we, when we started, it was like, okay, we'll have somewhere else to go. We'll have our own linens, towels, and sheets and whatever, right? But we're not sharing the same stuff. But after a while, it's like, well, it's the bathroom. We're sharing the bathroom. And we had, we had cleaners come and clean it professionally yeah. after every, every guest. But after a while, we were just like, okay, we'll just stay in this studio. It's fine. We'll, we'll manage. But I we can't give up like an extra couple of grand a month. So that was kind of the conversation and we're like, well, we'll figure it out. We'll maybe buy the next place or whatever, but let's just start right. and try this out. So that's kind of how it went. It seemed like you were, this thing was baking in the background anyway, right? So I'm sure you were talking about it. It wasn't like a, Hey, we're living here, by the way, let's not live here anymore. Let's give up our weekends and go. I mean, if, if you were talking about it on that vacation that you were on with Teek and yeah. them, right? Like, I yeah. mean, I'm sure she knew that it was in the background, like kind of oh, bubbling, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that's kind of that's kind of how it started. And that you know, having this extra 4K coming in a month that allowed me to quit my job. And I was like, well, now I can figure out and like really focus on this, right? Yeah. Have a nine to five, or well, it was much more than a nine to five, but I don't have to worry about anything else. And four grand a month, you know, 15 years ago was a great amount of money to just big deal. Yeah, that's that's awesome, man. I like the way you did it because it's like you had the security of the long-term rental on yeah. one side of the duplex. And then hey, let's test the waters in our own home. Right. And like, exactly. I, I, you know, I'm sure people have done that before, but I'd never thought of that. I mean, that's brilliant. And, and so you said you were on the water. So was it a very ideal vacation spot or was it like, no, no, no it wasn't on the water. This is oh. close, close to Lake Austin. Uh, close to Lake Austin. Okay. Gotcha. Downtown. It's, it's a very gr good location in terms of proximity to Zilka park for ACL and still does pretty well, just mainly because of the location. It's not a great looking property anymore. It's sure. just older. It's a little dated. Uh, there's a lot of newer uh, vintage stuff and you know available now so it's mostly does well because of the location so Corin, your your primary looks like is more in the short-term space right is, is that kind of where you evolved from there did you are you still just expanding your your short-term yeah absolutely i just kind of focus on the short term and I've, I've kind of figured out the formula that works and now i just replicate it over and over again you know 
obviously now I've gotten into higher end properties is, you know, that's what kind of, kind of does well, like try to build like a mini resort, right? Because there's just so many five bedrooms and six bedrooms. And as the market has changed over the next, next last 10 years, 15 years, there's just a lot more inventory of similar products that I had back then. So there's more, it, you know, you have more competition, right? I think the market has kind of evolved into this higher end luxury, private pools, pickleball courts, you know, just a resort style experience. That's kind of the direction that I'm kind of going in now. Are you still buying high end properties now? Or is, have you kind of shifted the focus from, obviously there's a, there's a big market for short term now, right? I mean, the catches, you know, got on through COVID, right? I mean, I, yeah. I feel like Airbnb was the big old thing that, that, that kind of popped, right? Because of yeah. everybody's kind of, you know, short term you know, renting and traveling through the pandemic. So because of that market, and it sounds like you're in the Austin area and you said you're trying to separate yourself, right? As a, as a product, right? right? So it sounds like you're going, is it like, are you buying these big properties? Are you building them? How, how are you kind of going? A mix of both. So the last two years, I've built quite a few of them, you know, five, six bedrooms, either really good locations or waterfront or, you know, whatever it is, it's gotta be something that stands out that makes it different from the rest, right? The last year I built two, you know, really nice houses, very close to downtown pools and just kind of went crazy with the decor and, you know, make it, make it feel like it's not a place that someone would want to live, but it's more of like one, one of the houses was a Tulum theme, right? So it's a very junky vibe and the other one's a super Palm spring. So just, it, it's like bachelor party galore. Like every weekend, all we attract is bachelor party, bachelor rent, sorry, not bachelor parties. <laughs> that, was, that was the idea. Cause it's got these, the colors that are very bachelorette esque and I don't know I let the designer kind of figure that part out like what you know the selections and whatnot but the idea is how do we target a certain demographic so when did you shift from because I'm assuming you went from hey this is just a normal place where you can just hang out and it's a place to live and you go see the attractions to making it a destination like your actual spot is the destination like because I'm assuming that's a big price jump as well, right? If you're going into luxury homes and things like that, right? Like how yeah. long were you in that game before you shifted? You know, the, the next two properties were still great locations and we still have them. But they're just not as successful anymore just because there's just not nicer stuff out there, right? Oh, sure. Uh, but the, whenever I buy something, I look for a class A location that's where the value is in the land. And, mm-hmm. you know, you can always tear down the house. So one of them we're looking at hopefully this year or next year, tearing it down and just completely rebuilding it. And it's right off South Lamar, you know, we bought it for under 500K and just the land itself is worth more than double of that today. So, you know, it's the idea is the, the improvement is worth probably nothing because it's like an old 1960s house. And we did some, you know, lipstick on a pig remodel 10 years ago when we bought it and it works, you know, but it's kind of like everyone's last resort when nothing else is available or it's because it's the cheapest house available. It still pays, you know, still makes us a yield, but it's just getting harder and harder because the the competition's gotten hard, you know, there's sure. a lot of supply of better quality homes. So, so yeah, we're kind of trying to get rid of the, you know, the, the older nastier properties and kind of get, get to the higher end luxury type stuff. That is so cool. And you mentioned that you have a designer. So I'm assuming you have a team around you that does certain aspects of it. Cause I was going to say like, do you do the design or do you do no. like, like, so, so what does your team look like and how do you define them? Yeah, it's not an, in, it's, it's not an in-house team. It's just, uh, you know, sure. use, use this designer, I use her for all of my projects and she just, you know, I'm like, here's what I want to go. I want to, I want you to go wild, pick the craziest wallpapers, kind of like what you have back there. We have, we have uh, something similar on one of our walls and it's just, oh, like, wow. it pops in pictures, right? At the end of yeah. the day, I'm in the business of selling photographs. That's it. So 
Oh wow! And then I'm excluding a maintenance company. So, <laughs> <laughs> Karin, how do you how do you fund these deals? So, like, yeah, you're you're talking about you know these are nice size properties, right? So half a million yeah. dollars. Are you going through conventional routes? Uh, are you partnering with people? What's what's that look like? I have one partner who I have on a couple of houses. He's a good friend, and he was the first one who helped get you know buy the second property and the third property because he had great W two income, and he's you know just hands off signed the loan. So he's still a partner in a couple of them, but for the rest of them, I kind of just go solo. I just don't like, you know, having to deal with answering to people. <laughs> yeah. I'm uh, with you, man. Yeah. So fortunately I have the ability to do that. So obviously if I, if I, there's a larger scale project where I can't, then I have to bring on someone. Right. But then you just have to be a lot more particular in your accounting and your, you know, create the, you know, here it's, it's all coming. But yeah, so for most of them, I don't have a partner and I don't have a traditional financing. It's just, you know, balance sheet debt from, you know, a small community bank or it's mostly like smaller banks. And then several of them are just cash. How do you make those relationships with those smaller banks to be able to do that? Like, I'm assuming you're saying, hey, look at my track record. Look at the yeah. income I'm making. Yeah. And you just go to the bank and show, hey, like, give me a loan based off of that. Is that yeah, how that works? So a couple of them are, you know, two of them are through brokers who introduced, who sold me the property, also introduced me to the lender. Another small bank that I have a bunch of loans with. I've known them for a couple of years. You know, one of the head guys used to work at a different bank who I had something with. And then they kind of started off here. So he's like, hey, come on, you know, you, you're doing well. You know, when, when you first start off, you got to chase these guys and you're going to cold, cold call and you're you know, to do a lot of dirty work. And then sure. once you kind of get to a certain point, they're, they're chasing you, you know, cause they want to give you that loan. So now I, you know, I get calls from lenders all the time. Like, Hey, what's, you know, I see your portfolio. Are you looking for anything, looking for refinancing or, but I just, I just try to stick to the, you know, even if the rates and terms are a little bit unfavorable through one lender, I'd rather just keep, keep it all with them. If, if, if I have like a good, you know, relationship with them. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Like sometimes that matters more because yeah. like you, when you're looking for the long term, it's good to to know the actual person rather than like chase right. a rate, you know? Right. And then, you know, the worst thing I've seen is when you don't have a relationship with someone, they, it's it's a great deal at first. It sounds fantastic. And day before closing, it's like, well, the underwriter wants this, this, and this, and we're going to change the, these terms. And it's, it's always, you know, lenders are known for this bait and switch game. Yeah. Frustrating. yeah. So I'd rather deal with someone you know, I have a relationship with, and even if it's slightly higher at the beginning. So Karin, are these all commercial loans or are these residential type loans? What loan products are we talking about? Yeah, they're kind of more on the commercial side. Terms look more uh, commercial than they do residential. Oh, really? So even with like a five bedroom, let's just say, let's just say it's a massive uh, house, right? So do they consider yeah. it kind of a business or are you kind of pulling it, it out of an LLC? Yeah. Right. It depends on the, but the one, the ones that I'm using, yeah, they're looking at it more in a, uh, it's their own money that they're lending. So it's not government Fannie, Fred, uh, Freddie, Fannie, that kind of debt. Yeah. Um, so they don't have, they have their own guidelines for the most part, but they, they're not, under, they're not doing 30 year notes, right. They're doing more of five, mm -hmm. seven, ten. So that's, that's, that's what I do. The last ones I did that I did last year, right before the rates went up, I did seven year fixed debt and, you know, locked in at 4% and we're good, right. For seven years. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Hopefully by seven years, we can pay, pay the whole thing off, but we'll see. Oh, wow. I was just going to ask, like, is the plan to pay it off or is it just to refinance and then find, find a better loan or something like that? I think it depends on what terms look like in seven years. Sure. But now, for, you know, I'm just paying off the, the minimum payment, but, but if terms are, you know, rates are worse than they are today or same level, then it probably makes sense to 
have a lower payment on it. Yeah. So 4%, percent it's a no-brainer, you know? Yeah, yeah. So let, let me ask you a question, Karin. sounds like you have a, a wide variety of Airbnb portfolios, right? You have the high end and then you have, let's just say your low end, just normal, yeah. right? I mean, what's... I call it mid, mid-scale. I wouldn't call it low end, but we don't do low end at all. They're, they're still, you know, six, 700 bucks a night minimum. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So, and there are four or five bedrooms. Like we don't even touch two bedroom or three bedroom properties. What I've learned is you're doing a lot more work for the same amount of reward, right? Like right. whether you rent... To a guy spending 50 bucks a night or a guy spending a thousand bucks a night, the amount of work done to get that and to deal with that reservation is exactly the same. In wow. fact, it actually, the person spending 50 bucks a night or 200 bucks a night is more, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're more the type of guest who's looking for a refund at the end of the day or looking for a discount or like, but the guy spending 1500 bucks a night is, doesn't really ask for, oh, the, you know, the light bulb wasn't working in one closet. Can I get a refund you know yeah okay just get it fixed no big deal you know yeah so, it sounds, you, you kind of answered my question because i was i was gonna ask hey where the market is right now in the short term in the world right i mean is it leaning more towards that high end it's what i'm hearing is yeah those specialty markets where they're you know they're uniquely decorated uniquely you know situated those are the ones that are kind of getting more of the business now in the short-term world right and i feel like I wouldn't, that's... Say, I wouldn't say more i think there's a different demographic for each right it's like mm. you have a budget motel and then you have the the w right like they're they both have their own markets right yeah so i just want to be in the w's market and not in you know what's whatever budget howard johnson motel right yeah right the, the demographic that Howard Johnson deals with and the demographic that W deals with are two different types of people in terms of, you know, the, the damages they cause and, you know, education levels or whatever, whatever it is. It's just they're, these guys are an easier type of person to deal with when they're paying 1500 bucks a night versus, and we've tried both, right? And it's just, right. it's more of a headache in terms of the amount of work that we have to put in, the amount of time and the amount of phone calls because they don't read check in instructions. You know? yeah. Are you, are you that- managing everything yourself? By the way, yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my wife does, you know, reads the operations, and then we have a couple other people, contract workers, and then yeah, we have we have a couple couple people on our team. And we're nice, that's awesome. Them, so, yeah. <laughs> so you've done the different types of Airbnb or um, short term rentals. You've also done long term, short term, and I think I know the answer. But like between long term and short term rentals, it seems like short term is the way to go. Like, is that your opinion? Think, or You know, it completely depends on the size, the location. It, there's so many variables. It depends on the property. I, we do have some long term rentals too, because okay. short term doesn't make sense over there, right? They're like mm-hmm. smaller two bedroom condos. And yeah, it, it just doesn't, the numbers doesn't, don't make sense. If on, on the smaller properties, I've noticed the spreads are too small. So you, what you get in long term and short term is about the same. Right. So why put in all the extra work? Right. If you're going to get maybe $200 more a month, it's not worth it. Right. I see. Yeah. But on the bigger ones that have pools and amenities and are close to downtown walk to rainy street where, you know, that attract tourists and you're competing with say five hotel bedrooms, you know, so say, say a five bedroom house price-wise compares to five hotel rooms and we're half the price of five hotel rooms. People are going to do that and they have their own kitchen. They also have a pool. So it just depends um, yeah. on the property, yeah. So when you're looking for properties, I, I was assuming that you're you're only looking for short-term rentals, but you're also looking at long-term as well. Like what you just kind of have a widespread or like what's your acquisition look like when you're on the hunt? Yeah, the primary focus is short-term rentals. Some, something that I can either completely rehab or, you know, lot a piece of land that I can build from scratch. Right. But, but I have been over the last couple of years buying these pre-construction condo deals that have done pretty wow. well. 
So that's that's the only reason I have we have a couple of condos because we bought them pre-construction with the bet. It was kind of like a options play where you're, you're putting down five grand today and you're betting that this area will be worth, you know, this condo, by the time they deliver it to you in two years, it's going to be worth another hundred grand or 200 grand, right? Oh, wow. So I did that. We've done that a few times. Well, probably like 10 or 15 times now. You're only putting in five or 10 grand. So worst case scenario, if if the market tanks in two years and it's worth less than what you you bought it under contract one, you need to walk away from that money or two, for the most part, the builder is going to have to correct it because it's not going to appraise. And then the rest, most of the people aren't going to be able to buy it. Right. For us, it's kind of worked out well. It's, it's always gone up uh, yeah. at least a little bit. So some of them have gone up, you know, the 10 grand's become 150 grand. Some of them, the 10 grand's become 50 grand, but it's, it hasn't gone down yet. And it, I'm sure it will at some point. Nothing ever just goes up, right? So that, right. That, we have a couple of these condo units that we long-term rent. Um, right. No, that's that's amazing. Even just the idea of like, hey, I'm just putting 10,000 10, down for the hope that it does increase. But at the end of the day, it's still a property that you could sell or rent out or whatever and right. Not, right. not be in the hole. Like, so in your scenario, you're not particularly selling it, right? You're, you're just, you're holding onto it as a long-term rental. No, I've sold, I've sold some. We have a couple in the market that were uh, actually just closed on one today as well that have gone under contract about three years ago. It took them three years to build. <laughs> yeah, there it it actually burnt down midway through the development. The whole development burnt down. No way. Uh, yeah, when we had that whole homeless situation in Austin, right? Uh, I think some homeless people got in and started a you know fire and burnt down the entire property. Oh, wow. Um, we had to rebuild it. But anyways, uh, yeah, we, so we still have, we have some that we just run out and some we, you know, sell and just waiting for the right opportunity as well, you know? So when you do those plays, the idea is to sell or is it like, hey, the ideal situation is to sell and get the bag yeah, or um, yeah. if, if I'm not able to sell, then I'll rent it out as long-term. Yeah. So the, the idea, ideal situation is to sell and, you know, get your, you know, make your 10 grand into hundred grand or 150 grand or whatever. And then yeah, yeah. that's always the ideal situation, but sometimes it doesn't quite work out or some of them there's restrict sales restriction periods where you can sell only after the builder has sold out. So there's, oh, there's, you know, stipulations. So some of them were waiting, some of them just ended. So we just listed them and now's also not the best time to sell, but whatever, as long as you make something on it, rather roll that, roll that money into something else. Right. Yeah. So Karin, going back to operationally, so it looks like, do you have like a, a just a handbook on how you kind of do this? Like going forward, do you have an operational manual on, Hey, these are the checklists. What systems do you use? Kind of, I mean, is, is that more your wife or like, do you kind of have that basically uh, no, we, plated. yeah, yeah. We both, uh, we both handle, you know, we both help, help with operations. So we have obviously use software. So we use a specific uh, property management software that's built for vacation rentals. We have a technology stack, right? We use a AI tool for pricing the rate per night. It looks, you know, Scott looks at all the properties in every, in, in our market and adjusts daily pricing, kind of like hotels do, right? Like you look yeah. at it it's different from what it was yesterday. Yeah. So, our, so we have software for that. We we've got software that, and the, all these softwares integrate into our PMS, which is our main, you know, property management software. Uh, and we've got software for uh, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, for scheduling, cleaning, and maintenance tasks and stuff. That again, kind of comes in. Uh, so those are I think the three three big ones that we use. How long did that take to kind of set that up? I know it's it's got to have, you had to manually intervene in the beginning, right? Like kind of set all this up and kind of figure it out. Cause that that's always been the thing for me. I've always wanted to get into short-term, but it's it's kind of understanding all these systems, right? And getting yeah. the processes down. Cause if you're not on top of that, it can be a very manual and 
and laborious task to kind of manage it, right? Uh, to some extent, if you have under five, I say you don't, you probably don't even need a software. You okay. can manage everything. And now Airbnb has gotten to a point where they have their own pricing algorithms. They have their own automated responses and automated check-in instructions. So you can automate a lot of that stuff just through Airbnb. And then, you know, your calendars kind of sync with VRBO. So you can do that with, you know, if you have two to three or maybe even up to five. But once you start going to four or five, I think you kind of need something a little more robust where you can look at your calendars. And also, you know, this is, we're on our second one. We started off with a different company when we first started, when we got to like five properties and that company got acquired by, you know, a huge uh, hotel software company. And then they kind of just pushed it in a direction that wasn't vacation rentals anymore. It was very hotel-esque. And although they're similar, they're very different, right? Yeah. So it just didn't work and they stopped innovating. And so we switched over to this new company uh, about three years ago. And that was, again, huge pain, right? Like you got to bring on existing reservations and create your listings. And however easy they make it sound that you can just click a button and it'll all upload. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> so, but then, you know, they their teams kind of helped kind of do all that dirty work as well. So we we had to do some work, but not not all of it and kind of just check, make sure that everything's intact, but hopefully it, we don't have to switch again. You know, that's always a tough one, especially as you scale, making that switch is very difficult. Speaking of scale, what's the plan for the next, you know, one to three years? I mean, is it still short-term? Do you have other asset classes you want to kind of touch on? Like what's the goal in the next few years? I don't, I don't like the 10 year window. I'm more, yeah. like, Hey, with the next couple of years, you know, for the next couple of years, I'd say one to three, probably just focus on luxury short-term. Another good thing for me is I get to learn from properties that we take on as just from management of what does well and what doesn't. We recently took on this insane nine bedrooms. It's got a pool. It's got a hot tub. It's got this party barn with like a bar and like poker tables and just a shuffleboard and what else? Ping pong pool. <laughs> uh, and it's basically like you're, people are renting this because it's it, this party barn feels like you're renting a private bar. Right? Yeah. So you get this and that one is just killing it. So I, I need to figure out how to build or buy something similar to that. And these guys did a really nice job decorating it, but you know, we started it last three months and we've already taken on 300 grand of bookings almost or maybe three months 250 yeah i mean it's not for three months it's for the it's for this year right right we're getting bookings like every minimum weekend booking is like you know seven to ten grand and some weekends are going to like 15 grand you know people are paying 15 grand for one booking and it's wow. like, wow, this, this works. So, Did y'all buy amazing. that one? Was that, was no, that? No, no, no. We, we just manage it. Uh, we have nothing to, we don't okay. have, any, but my point is I get to learn from, okay, that's, yeah. that's what works. Right. Or someone buys something else and it's like, man, it's just, it doesn't work. So yeah, let's not do that. So that's so a, that's, that's a great position to be in. Yeah. It's kind of a nice thing that we have the ability to have to be able to learn from other people's successes or mistakes. Uh, but so, so going back to your question, yeah, the next couple of years, I think just kind of try to expand the, you know, own portfolio as well as the managed properties, hopefully get back into commercial. I, I feel like there'll be a correction in the commercial real estate world, whether it's retail, multifamily. So I'm just waiting for that dip, you know, the correction to come. And, you know, if it does, then get into some other asset classes. Nice. Wow. That's cool. I had a question about the construction aspect of it because- it's one thing to buy a property that's already there, you know, it's already built and you could redo, you know, remodel, redo. We, we've done that for our rentals, but to build from scratch, I feel like that's a whole different beast, right? 
Yeah. Um, how did you get into that? And like, I, I mean, I, I can understand the reason why, like, why would you want to? Because, you know, you have the ability and you find land or whatever, but yeah. that's a whole different world. Like, can, can you walk us through that process? Like for one of the deals, I guess? Yeah, sure. So, so in the last couple of years, I've probably I've built about four or five new constructions, all kind of, you know, five, six bedrooms plus basically five to seven, all have okay. pools. So I have an architect that I use. I use him for every project. I've got an interior designer that I use her for every project. And then I've got a couple of GCs that I haven't used all of them for every project, but between, you know, I kind of rotate between them depending on the project. And then of course, you know, she, she picks all the finishes. I I'm just kind of like a supervisor kind of bringing these people together and making sure they talk to each other because they all hate each other or they pretend like they hate each other. And they're always, it's that one's fault. I'm like, okay, calm down. That's just, we're out. We can get this together. So that's, that's all I do. Okay. So it's really the team. Like you're, you're piecing together the architect, the GC, the, the designer and make sure they play well. Like, yeah, I I don't, I don't build it myself. I don't GC it myself. It's just uh, way too much of a time commitment. And I feel like letting a professional, they'll do it faster. If I save like a hundred grand or 200 grand or whatever it is. Right. But it costs me an extra six months of lost revenue, I'd rather just pay him 200 grand and, you know, and be, and not have to put any of my time in, right? Like I'd rather spend some time going, finding the next deal or, because last year at one point, there was a time when I had five of them going together. I would have never been able to manage five in different locations and still, you know, manage the management company. So I'm I'm glad I I, I didn't, I didn't really dabble or get into. That's great. That's a great piece of advice. Cause like I suffer through this and I know a lot of other people do too. Let's do it yourself. Like, let's figure out how to get it done. Save that money. Da, 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 da. But you don't, you don't think about the other side of it where it's like, well, you might be saving money, but you're losing time. And time is really, you never get that back. You never get your time back. You can make a lot more money, but you never get your time back. And it's better to, what's your highest and best use, right? And exactly. I feel like exactly. So anything that I can outsource to someone else, let's outsource it, right? Like, yeah. and, I, and focus on like, just kind of finding these better deals or going and talking to other agents to, to help me find deals, right? I mean, there's only so much time that you have, right? So if it's like basic stuff that, that can be outsourced and they can run it, let them do it. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. It feels like you're doing it all right. So uh, this next question, if, if you had to start all over, what would you what would you change? What would you do, or would you stay the course, or what? What's the what's the thought on that? That's a, t- a tough question. Yeah, if I'd start all over and had nothing, I'd have to start with the you know again with the deepest value add type deals, right? Like to try to to make the high, the highest return really quick, right? So right. obviously, got to start with the smallest properties. Maybe a fix and flip. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, maybe a you know, two three hundred thousand dollar fix and flip where you can make. 50 grand real fast. Of course you could go wrong, but um, sure, yeah. that's kind of the easiest way and fastest way to make like a short, uh, you know, decent amount of cash. Right. So again, go and roll into something else. I love the way you started, man. I, I love the yeah. way you, you started with the house hack. Hey. You know, I feel like you can't go wrong with that. You know, like you have somebody else yeah. paying for your mortgage and you're living in the same building with them. Right. I think yeah. that's, if I was younger and if I was able to redo it all over again, I wish, cause that's, that's when you're most nimble too, right? When you're, when exactly. you're young and you're, you're, you're naive, you're willing yeah. to take the risk, right? Like now, I would now, not have been willing to couch surf today. And yeah. yeah. <laughs> not my wife either, but right. uh, also I think, you know, timing is, timing is key. Like I was at the right place at the right time yeah. and I could have executed all these things the same way. And if timing was off, I would have failed. Right. Like, right. I got, there was a lot of luck involved. And I think that's with everything in life. Like timing has to be, you know, rates were low, 
Austin market was not hot. It's gone up like crazy over the last, especially the last three years, right? But it's yeah. crept up over the last 15 years and kind of got in, you know, right, right, just at that right time with those first couple. And then from there, it's been kind of executing, making right decisions on how to add value to it by not paying market price so that you can yeah. build in your equity. But it's, all, it's also difficult in an environment like today where your interest rates are 7%, property prices are still kind of crazy. Yeah. It's, it's tough for someone to just go buy a property today and make that sort of return. And then, and then Airbnb competition is through the roof, right? Like you're there. I was looking at some data. So one of, one of our software partners provides us a lot of data on the market. And I was looking at something for a specific, uh, I was looking for a specific submarket, a radius. I did a 20 mile radius of a specific area close to downtown. And from December, 2021 to December, 2022, the properties, vacation rentals in that area went from 1100 to 1900. Wow. So almost doubled. Wow. Yeah. So wow. even though the demand may have increased and there's more people coming, it hasn't doubled compared yeah. to the supply. Yeah. Right? So it's just not as you really got to understand your market that you're getting into, understand the supply. And there's so many markets like that in the country right now that are just getting, you know, that have no restrictions, no regulations. Builders are just building. Right. And then investors are like, oh, oh that's the top vacation rental market. I live in California. Let me just go buy one out in Tennessee, you know, the Smoky yeah. Mountain, because it's the best. And people are going to get burned. It's 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 a matter of time. I was going to ask, like, if someone was getting into or considering getting into the short-term rental game, because like you said, timing was a big thing for your yeah. for your success. Do you think someone could find success in getting into it today? Or is it like, has that ship sailed or or... You know, like what, what kind of advice would you give someone that's trying to start? I think so it's gotten a lot harder. 10 years ago, you could throw a, you know, throw a dart in anything and it would hit and you'd do well, right? Yeah. Today, you better do your due diligence on the submarket, understand where that market is headed, understand what if there's regulation, you know, what hotels are being are, are coming to that are being built. You can go to your, your code department and find out what's in the pipeline, right? Yeah, hold on, let me ask you that. Like, so if you know where a hotel is being built, that's a benefit to an Airbnb? No, that's just more competition, right? It's, it's oh, not competition. direct competition, it. but, but it's indirect yeah. competition, right? You, I get it's you. kind of tough to know what, what Airbnbs are coming on because someone's could be building a house. It could be for themselves. It could be as an investment. You're never going to know. Sure. Yeah. Uh, but one of the areas I'm thinking about is the Smoky Mountains in Tennessee. I was at one point, it was a number one vacation rental destination. But in the last two years, they've just been building and building and prices have gone up you know, yeah. kind of like Austin, but there's no regulation there. So they just keep building people from out of state who have heard of it as the number one vacation rental destination are just buying it sight unseen. And eventually it's going to crash, right? Yeah. When you say regulation, so is Austin have a lot of regulations and are, is there a lot of red tape for, for Airbnb? Yeah. So the Austin does have regulation. They haven't been very strictly enforcing it. So I'm, I'm hoping they get a little stricter with it. I think regulation is good because you don't want entire neighborhoods turning into frat parties either. Right. Yeah. Right. So yeah. I think, you know, back in the day they used to have, uh, it was a code that said you could do 3% of every zip code or census code or something like that, whatever it was. Right. It was like, Basically, every zip was allowed, maybe 100, 200 homes, something like that, which is a small percentage. Today, they're not because I think there's a lawsuit by the federal government against the state or something like that. 
that's preventing the state from enforcing it or, or the county from enforcing it. And I think um, eventually, I hope, hopefully that gets figured out, but I think regulation is good. It's almost like you have to get a license to actually yeah, open up an yeah, Airbnb, so, right? It's, it's yeah, so we like have that. licenses on most of our properties. And then I don't mind going into unregulated areas where, you know, there's a limitation on that type of land. So like, for example, waterfront, right? If you go to waterfront property, there's only so much water frontage. Right. So, you know, it makes it a little bit less risky because those type of properties maintain their value. If you need to sell and vacation rentals aren't doing well, at least you have it, those don't go typically go down in value. They can, right. like Lake Travis has, but that, that's not a constant level lake. It's, you know, every, it's very cyclical. So when there's a drought, people's waterfront houses are suddenly not waterfront anymore. Oh, oh, wow. But I don't go out to Lake Travis because it's just there's so much unknown. I wouldn't mind touching it when it is in a drought and you're buying a waterfront house that can become a waterfront house. Right, right. Right? When, when wow. the rain comes. But the lakes that we have properties on are all constant level, which is mainly Lake LBJ. The real yield may not be as high. There's a limited amount of downside to it as well. Dude, this is a super insightful, man. I feel like we talked to you all day about this stuff, man, but... Uh... <laughs> We, we don't want to burn up all your day, man. We really appreciate you, you know, joining us on this this interview. And if people want to connect with you, I guess we'll put something in the show notes, you know, with, with your contact info, if, if you wanted to share that. But yeah, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Sid, did you, did you have any additional things that you wanted to talk about or? No, all good, Karin. I mean, it's, it's this, uh, this is awesome segment. I mean, we've, we haven't covered a lot of the Airbnb in the short-term rental space, but uh, I'm sure, I mean, we've I've learned a lot. I'm sure our people that are listening will, will learn a lot from your interview and uh, kudos to you, man. Thank you. Thank, thank you guys for having me, man. I appreciate it. And happy that I could, we could uh, chat about this. Absolutely. Awesome. Thanks a lot, y'all. Well, have a good one. Take care, okay. guys. Signing off. Thanks for listening to Guts and Grind with Siju and Sajin. Be sure to tune in next time.